Hi, hello guys. I'm Rui, and this is Macabre Ramblings, a true crime full ramble. <laughs> I have taken a week off. If you're following me on Instagram and Twitter, you'll see that I did a update that I'm going to take like a week off. It's it's kind of needed. <laughs> uh, I just my brain is just the last week. My brain is just on another planet. I don't know where it went, but. I can't focus on anything, <laughs> anything at all. And I felt like uh, this might be a sign that I do need a break, like a quick mental health break. And I think it helped a bit. <laughs> I, f I still feel like I need to kind of slide myself into that, what do you call this, mood? Or some kind of like that mood to go and do things actually. Not just with this podcast and researching but things. And this might be a burnout <laughs> symptom but I'm doing my best and I am going to fight through it. And hopefully I, my brain goes to normal in the next few weeks. So yeah, that's just, that's just a quick... uh update on how i am doing and so yeah since there's nothing much else that i have in mind let's just go and jump into the case for today's episode and this one isn't going to be a very very long one hopefully and it's mostly because the uh the criminal is a minor so there's not much to be known about him because of the law that the minor is going to be protected their uh identity wouldn't be blasted into the world it's going to be kept private so there's not much else to know about the killer only the crime that he committed so yeah so if you have seen the title you'd see that the case is the kobe child murders and if you remember isei sagawa the kobe cannibal yes it's the same place in kobe japan and this happened on around the 90s around 1997 actually so we're going to start the case uh in a very very gruesome like uh if you are easily triggered by uh, graphic descriptions of mutilated bodies or a mutilated body, then this episode might not be for you. <laughs> and to those that are doesn't, you know, skip on another episode or they're okay, then hi. 
<laughs> I'm going to talk to you about the case. So the case, uh, it kind of like really, really reached its infamous peak. <laughs> Is that even a term? But yeah, it became very much a nationwide thing in Japan on May 27, 1997. And this is when the school janitor of Tainohata Elementary School, you know, he comes into school earlier than when the kids go to school because he cleans or they clean. They make sure that everything is okay. And looking at the gate of the school, of the elementary school, he found the head Yes, ahead of an 11-year-old special education boy named Jun Hase. Just ahead. And Jun Hase has been missing since May 24, 1997. So yeah, I did say that we're starting in a gruesome, gruesome and very much morbid way. Especially because it's a kid. You know, so the head, as I have said, was found in front of the school gate hours before kids actually come to school, which is fortunate because that's going to be absolutely traumatic to the children. Not that it's not traumatic to the janitor, but at least the kids' eyes would be spared of this absolutely gruesome scene. So, in the head of Jun Hase, there is a note written in red pen and this note was found stuffed into Jun Hase's mouth and in the note uh, the killer was identified so the killer left a note inside the mouth and the killer apparently is named Sakakibara and in the note it read quote this is the beginning of the game try to stop me if you can you stupid police I desperately want to see people die. It is a thrill for me to commit murder. A bloody judgment is needed for my years of great bitterness. End quote. So, mm, kind of like theoretical? Theatrical. Theatrical. (laughs) That's the word. It's kind of... It kind of does sound theatrical. And apparently in the note, there are misspelled English words like, I don't know what this is me- This means. It's shul killer. It's probably school killer, but it's spelled S-H-O-O-L-L. The killer is, spen- is spelled correctly, but the school or whatever it is that the killer was trying to spell there is definitely misspelled. So now that... There is a headless body. Of course, there's going to be a search around. And later that day, under a house in the woods near the school, the police found the boy's headless body. And uh, it's gruesome, but apparently, June House's murder isn't the first in the area. It's apparently the second murder in the area. Because on March 15, a 10-year-old... just the kid, the victim here, the victims here are kids. So a 10-year-old elementary school girl named Ayaka Yamashita, she was bludgeoned, bludgeoned to death with a steel pipe. 
So the killer apparently also used this cross-like symbol and people think this is kind of similar to the ones used by the Zodiac killer. Mm -hmm. And there are similar slogans found painted on walls near the elementary school where June has his head was found and outside the main gate of the junior high school the people also found two mutilated cats and this is found at the place where the boy's head was found before he also vanished because Jun Hase is a student in Tainohata Elementary School. So police sources said that mutilated cat carcasses were also found near the other crime scene before the attacks occurred. So it's kind of like the police is seeing that, oh, Ayaka Yamashita and Jun Hase, there's a probability that it's the same killer. You know, it's the same killer. So they're trying to find the killer. And on June 6, a letter was sent to the newspaper Kobe Shimbun in which Sakakibara, so the killer, claimed that he is responsible for the killing and the decapitation of Jun Hase and that this is not the end of his crimes and more killings would follow soon. And Sakakibara isn't, you know, he isn't satisfied with with that one letter because he sent another letter. Yeah, another letter delivered in a brown envelope. envelope. It is postmarked June 3. Uh, It had no return address, no name. And in this package or in this brown envelope, there is a three-page, 1,400-word letter. (laughs) That's long. And it is also written in red ink. And in this letter, there includes a six-character name that can be pronounced as Sakakibara Seito. The same characters, the same six characters because if you are not uh, familiar with Japanese names, their names have meanings behind them. And that when their names are written, the, the characters that they use for writing that name especially in kanji or i think it is in kanji when you spell your name in kanji those characters that you use to spell your name they also have meanings so for example uh i don't know i'm i'm not that well versed in kanji but for example you're like you have a name and when you write down your name in kanji these characters could mean different things but when they are together they spell your name i don't know if you're if i am like uh, explaining this properly but that's how japanese names are they have kind of two ways i think of spelling their names in kanji and in like nihongo like uh katakana and hiragana yeah (laughs) i'm not gonna delve deeper into that because it's gonna get a little kind of complicated but uh Their names can be written like that. So the six characters that are used to spell Sekakibara Seito means alcohol, devil, rose, saint, and fight. And these these characters were also used in the first message that was inserted into the boy's mouth. So in this letter that was in the uh, brown envelope, the beginning is, quote, now it's the beginning of a game so it's kind of like 
Ooh, I am a killer and I have a game. Police go and play with me. Kind of like thing. So that the letter also says, I am putting my life at stake for the sake of this game. If I'm caught, I'll probably be hanged. Police should be angrier and more tenacious in pursuing me. It's only when I kill that I am liberated from the constant hatred that I suffer and that I am able to attain peace. It is only when I give pain to people that I can ease my own pain. End quote. And in this same letter, there's also comments about the Japanese educational system. And it's, it's kind of like criticizing the system. And... The letter calls it a compulsory education that formed me, an invisible person. So we see that this killer, whoever it is, has kind of very negative feelings when it comes to the Japanese education system. And I'm going to talk about this in depth, in more depth later. So of course, there's gonna be panic because, oh my god, there's the head of an 11-year-old boy just in the gates of the school and what the fuck is happening so because of this initial panic the japanese media actually misreported the name not as sakakibara but as onibara and onibara means demon's rose because oni is demon bara is rose anyway it's demon's rose though and because it was misreported the killer was mad that his name isn't reported correctly and and it shows because Sakakibara later wrote to the station and he said quote from now on if you misread my name or spoil my mood i will kill 3 vegetables a week if you think i can only i can only kill children you are greatly mistaken and vegetable <laughs> At first, I'm like, you're gonna kill vegetables? Like, am I going to be seeing, like, chopped cucumber in front of a school gate now? (laughs) But no, apparently, the term vegetables refers to people around him. That's what he meant by vegetables. And Sakakibara had learned this term from his parents, apparently, who had once told him, quote, if you are nervous, if you are nervous at your athletic meet, picture the people around you as vegetables. So that's why he calls like people vegetables. So I think this kind of like says that he's not gonna kill children, but like the general public, the adults as well, because he can do that as well. So the police absolutely trying. To find this killer, they got around 500 investigators to work on this case while the parents organize neighborhood watches and children are not allowed to go out without escorts now. They are escorted to and from the school and this absolutely sent shockwaves through Japan. And it was more shocking because at this point... Japan is not accustomed to this kind of like violent and gruesome crime at all. So it's just shocking to them and even more like horrendous to them. So Junhase apparently he was beheaded with a handsaw. And there are further mutilations done before he was left in front of the school. Yeah, and I'll talk about that later. So now there's not much that I have seen 
about you know the investigations but on june 28 so it did not last that long it uh june hase was may and on june 28 an arrest was made and this arrest shocked the people in japan even more because the one who was arrested is a junior high school student and he is only 14 years old 14 14 oh my god so he was arrested as a sus- as a suspect in june Hase's murder and he is a junior high school student a ninth grader and apparently he is a neighbor and he's also an acquaintance of june Hase. he's an acquaintance and because as i've said in the start of this episode because he is a minor his identity is hidden from the public nobody knows him and he is kind of like called boy a that's the thing that people call him boy a and when he was arrested you like he was arrested for jun hase's murder he also confessed that he was the one who murdered Ayaka Yamashita on March 16. And not only that, he also confessed that he assaulted three other girls on and around the same date that Ayaka was murdered. And they were both they were blood bludgeoned with a hammer and they were and they survived. So apparently, of course, if you have like, if you have learned that a schoolgirl was beaten to death and then there was another kid that was decapitated and there are kids around the neighborhood getting beaten, authorities initially thought that they have a adult serial killer in their hands. They're sure, it's kind of like, yeah, they're right about the serial killer thing, but they thought it's an adult. You know, so this arrest of a 14-year-old boy, it was absolutely shocking. Apparently, this interrupted regular programming for a police news conference because this is such a shock to the media and just everybody, everybody in Japan. Police said that in the search of Sakakibara's or Boy A's home and the surroundings, they found the knife that he said he used. For the murders so sakakibara all in all attacked five young kids injuring three killing two between march and may 1997 so he started actually sometime in february and this is when he assaulted three school girls within a two-month span so on february 10 1997 he bludgeoned with a hammer two unnamed girls and they both survived on march 16 just a month after that he bludgeoned ayaka yamashita she was 10 years old she actually initially survived when she was bludgeoned but she eventually died on march 23 so she didn't manage to die she didn't manage to live through the injuries that that she got and he also stabbed stabbed a nine-year-old girl nine i'm like shocked i I was the one who researched this but i'm just shocked at how young everybody is so nine years old kasumi ishikawa he stabbed her in the abdomen but she survived fortunately and on may 24 this is when he uh killed junhase apparently he strangled 
him first. He then decapitated the body and then he mutilated some parts of his body as well and then left a note in his mouth. So the mutilation, the further ones is his slit has his throat from ear to ear. He knifed and stoned him. Like, what the fuck is happening here? What is that state of mind? Oh my god. So when the police were going through his home, they found a diary. And after his attack, after his attack against Ayaka Yamashita, he actually wrote in his diary. This is when he this is what he said or wrote, quote, I carried out sacred experiments today to confirm how fragile human beings are. I brought the hammer down when the girl turned to face me. I think I hit her a few times, but I was too excited to remember. Excited. Out of all the world words, it's excited. So on the following week, on March 23, because as I have said, Ayaka initially survived, but she eventually died on March 23. And on March 23, he wrote in his diary as well. And he wrote, quote, This morning, my mom told me, Poor girl, the girl attacked seems to have died. There's no sign of me being caught. I thank you, Bamoy Dok... Oh God. Bamoy Dokishin for this. Please continue to protect me. And apparently, the identity of Bamoy Dokishin... It's unclear. Nobody knows what that is. And I could only assume that that is some kind of deity that he might have came up with or something. I don't know. But it looks like he's looking up at Bamoi Do Kishin. I don't know. But yeah. So apparently, Boy A also confessed to the, confessed to the police that when he severed Jun has his head. He actually washed it in his family's bath. Just, I don't know how to think. Just imagining bathing in that bathtub and not knowing that your child or your sibling just severed somebody's head and then washed it there. And apparently he washed it to quote-unquote release his soul. And apparently... One more reason as to why the police were searching for an adult is because there's advanced language in the notes that Sakakibara had sent to the police. But apparently, it is advanced because Boy A had used a word processor to correct his grammar. So he would look more educated than, you know, him being just a kid, a 14-year-old kid, because he is a kid, which absolutely absolutely bamoozles me like this gruesome crime was made by a kid ah so looking at the personality profile of sakakibara some think that this is a classic case of hikikomori syndrome and what is a hikikomori syndrome this is a syndrome that is first studied in Japan and recently it has been drawing some attention of researchers and clinicians all over the world and it is it is still debated whether it exists in other cultural contexts 
other than Japan and Asia, but Hikikomori syndrome consists of prolonged and severe social withdrawal. The term hikikomori derives from Japanese. It is composed of the verb hiki or hiku, which means to move back, and komori or komoru, which means to come into. So moving back and coming into, I don't know, their caves or something along those lines. So in the last two decades, this syndrome has been conceptualized as a psychosociological condition that is characterized by prolonged and severe social withdrawal for a time period of at least six months. And I found an article that is talking about Uh, people being concerned that this syndrome would spread more because of COVID and yeah <laughs> because as an it, I was actually it made me think that as an introvert and a homebody I absolutely love being at home and quarantine is probably hell for a lot of people but for me it's like I'm at peace in a way because I'm always in my safe space, in my home. But where did it cross the line of me just enjoying being at home almost all the time to getting this syndrome? So I'm like, oh no, oh no, <laughs> what does this mean? <laughs> so yeah. So in the first epi epidemiological research conducted in 2003, the Japanese Ministry of Health, Labor, and Welfare defined this syndrome as a state in which an individual A. mainly stays at home, B. cannot or does not engage in social activities such as going to school or working, C. has continued in this state for six months or longer, D has neither a psychotic has neither a psychotic disorder nor a medium to lower level of mental uh, incapacity. The article wrote the R word, and I don't know. I don't like saying it. So mental uh, disability. The I the people with IQ less than fifty five to fifty, and E has no close friends. So. Social withdrawal, apparently in hikikomori, involves someone staying at home almost all days, and some authors even propose that that there are two subtypes of this syndrome characterizing the hikikomori syndrome. There's this hardcore subtype, and this include those people who just never leave the room, they never talk to their family members, and that's the hard. Hardcore subtype, and there's a soft subtype, and these includes those cases of people who go out and talk to others occasionally. So there's a article proposed by Kato. I guess he is a researcher, and his colleagues they propose that there's another subtyping of this syndrome, distinguished between those cases who live. With their families, apparently a majority of the population that has hikikomori lives with their families, and those who live alone, and this only represents around 11%. So the ones who live with their families is 79%. Wait, is that what we get? Eighty-nine. I mean, eighty-nine percent, right? 
yeah, 89%. <laughs> so that typically severe social withdrawal behavior affects males. To, male to female ratio of 4 is to 1, so it apparently affects males more. Mostly the young adult eldest son of a family with a good socioeconomic and cultural level. Interesting. The onset of this uh, syndrome can vary from 20 to 27 years, but some of the symptoms often emerge during early adolescence. So it has been hypothesized that some of the socially withdrawn youths have close friends, but they do not maintain contact with them whenever they feel this urge to just withdraw from anything social, and they do not have any close friends, but they maintain this less demanding personal relationships with others, such as online friends. And am I getting hit? Kind of. <laughs> mm, I don't want to think about it. So social... Social cultural influences have been believed as well as some factors involved in the development of this condition. Some authors propose that this is a culture-bound syndrome that is kind of like a Japanese syndrome or an Asian syndrome of some kind, but other uh, researchers believe the opposite, that this is a wide thing, like a global wide variety thing uh-huh and there are also hypotheses that this syndrome kind of like comes with another disorder another psychiatric disorder or this is even a consequence of a primary psychiatric disorder like psychotic disorders, depressive disorders, social anxiety disorders, agoraphobia, schizoid or avoidant personality disorder. Kind of like these things that the hikikomori syndrome might come as kind of like a symptom or it comes with these disorders. Uh-huh. So there's kind of like still debate if this is a syndrome that people could think as a standalone or it kind of like comes with another disorder every time it is seen. And uh, there's another article. <laughs> it's gonna get sciencey a little because I got interested. And there's an article made by Kondo and colleagues and they reported that in a group of patients aged 16 to 35 years they have onset of social isolation before age 30 for at least 6 months and in this group of patients 8% of them had schizophrenia 26% had an anxiety disorder 8% had a depressive disorder 23% had a personality disorder 6% with avoidant personality disorder 6 with schizoid and 4 with obsessive compulsive personality disorder so it kind of like comes with the hypothesis that Hikikomori syndrome comes with these things as well. So at the present time, whether it is kind of like a psychiatric disorder by itself or it's a symptom, it is still debated and it could be argued that both possibilities could exist, but it's still a debated topic. So, uh-huh. 
So authors identified a group of psychiatric disorders characterized by hikikomori-like features includes psychosis, social anxiety disorder, avoidant personality disorder, depressive disorders, internet addiction, and post-traumatic stress disorder. So yeah, so there's an analysis of the case of this. Let's go back to the case and the analysis of this Kobe child murder case. There's a journalist that analyzed it named Gamal Nikrumah. It's G-A-M-A-L, Gamal, N-K-R-U-M-A-H. I don't know how to say the last name, but this journalist wrote that Japanese children apparently are confronted with extremely difficult examination when they were still just six years old. So, you know, when Sekakebara criticized the Japanese educational system, and because six years old, the children are already given some examination. And in their performance in this examination, it basically determines if they're going to a, a good elementary school or a not so good elementary school so this kind of like basically decides their future you know because if you're from a good elementary school there's a bigger chance that you're gonna get to a good middle school a good high school and if you start in a not so good elementary school it's gonna be harder for you to go to a better school after you finish elementary school so from six years old that's kind of like brutal sakakibara's mother or boy a's mother pressured him to excel at school even though social workers had warned her that he himself boy a is already mentally unstable he also he already has problems that he needs to deal with but his mother just pushed and pushed him for this like educational achievements Apparently, from with what from being young, from a young age, he was already torturing and killing young animals as a quote unquote hobby. So this is a check mark beside a symptom of a symptom or a red flag for a serial killer. He's already doing this, and soon after that, because he is still a kid, he began dadaks to the girls as he walked to school. So, apparently, still in elementary school, he already began carrying cutting weapons. That's a big red flag. And apparently, he said, quote, I can ease my irritation when I'm holding a survival knife or spinning scissors like a pistol. My god, the red flags is just, wee-oo, wee-oo. So, at, <laughs> what the heck is that? So, at age 12, he already is, as I've said, showing cruelty to animals and this is, I don't know, this whole episode is a big trigger warning for like violence, but this is another trigger warning that he would line up frogs in a street, frogs, and he would ride over them with his bicycles. Bicycle, I mean, he only has one. You can only ride one bicycle at a time. So he mutilated cats and he decapitated pigeons. Those poor, poor animals. So according to people who knows Boy A himself personally, he made friends easily, but he was also known to be quite strange. He told friends that his hobbies included collecting cats' 
eyeballs and tongues. And I don't know about you, but as a kid, I already like the scary parts, like morbid things. But if a friend of mine says that they have a hobby of collecting cats, eyeballs, and tongues, I'm like, no, <laughs> no, stay away. That's that's not good. Like, fuck off. So according to Boy A as well, he was apparently inspired to write the letter to the police because he did read about the Zodiac Killer. So he was inspired by the Zodiac Killer. And as much as the Zodiac Killer is kind of like an infamous killer, you shouldn't be inspired by the things that he have done. And no. So I might cover the zodiac killer but there's so much information about that and yeah i have a problem with like collecting information and i don't want to saturate i don't want to be drowning <laughs> in information so that zodiac killer episode because it's gonna be a lot of parts i'm sure is gonna be in the future far far future so apparently in his home the police also discovered books on Hitler and books about serial killers. Mm -hmm. So in Japan, people that are 19 and under are treated as juveniles before the law and special protections are given to those that are 16 and under and he is 14. So as a result, there is no chance that he's going to face the death penalty which Japan sometimes applies in adult murder cases. And because he is a juvenile, he is only sent to a special medical reformatory for juvenile offenders in Fuchu, Western Tokyo. In October 1997, he would receive he received psychiatric treatment and counseling, and he was then transferred to an ordinary reformatory in November 2001 to learn some social skills that he obviously fucking needs, and he returned to a medical reformatory in November 2002. In 2003, he was judged as cured of his sexual sadism sadism and compulsion to kill so a spokesman for the police in hyogo prefecture which includes kobe this spokesman said that it would be possible for boy a to be kept in a detention center until the age of 20 and then he would be released but the spokesman also said that it might be possible to detain him well enough into adulthood but it is definitely up in the air so the case isn't done yet. I mean, the killings is done. The killer is caught. He is put in a reformatory, but there's a lot of aftermath of this case. So of course, the first uh, very much a could be seen, expected, is that uh, there's a lot of debates or ideas raised about kids and supervision of kids and apparently in a search of Sakakibara's room there are a lot thousands how do you collect thousands of these there are thousands of hentai manga volumes uh-huh and there are pornographic videos and of course pornographic anime hentai knowing this the construction minister and cabinet member shizuka kame 
called for restrictions on horror movies entering the Japanese market, and Kamei also told a press conference that the killer was influenced by these horror movies. So he said, Kamei said, quote, The incident gives adults the chance to rethink the policy of self-imposed restrictions on these films and whether they should allow them just because they are profitable. End quote. So the chief cabinet secretary, Seiroku Kajiyama, though, pointed out that it would be difficult to restrict horror movies. And how do you restrict that? Like, no horror movies whatsoever? Nothing? Just completely take them off the market? Like, what is that? And even if restrictions were in place, these this thing might not be able to prevent gruesome crimes at all. You know, it might just be... Somebody might be, for example, amazed, for lack of a better word, of the crimes in the horror films, but they won't, you know, do it in real life. And some might already have the tendency to kill people and they just had the idea. I don't know. It's like kind of like mm, some debatable topics in that. So the police apparently compiled a list of 10 Hollywood horror movies that they thought had acts resembling the killing of Jun Hase and they were they circulated this list to video rental shops because back then you rent videos so video rental shops in the Kobe area where the murder took place and they compiled the names of the customers who rented any of these films so the list apparently was not made public but the police said that boy A Sakakibara was in possession of one of the 10 films. The sources that are close to the investigation had identified this movie as Friday the 13th, which is famous. So, I don't know. <laughs> so during the course of the investigation, Japan's largest video rental chain said that it would self-censor the video boxes with graphic depictions of mutilations. And the chain also asked video distributors to change the box covers for some of the of the titles and stock out of consideration for June Hase. So apparently this the hit movie Scream, the uh, opening of it, the screening of it in Japan was uh, postponed in June because of this killing and the nationwide havoc that this made. So that's the first aftermath. And in 2000, the Japan's legislature lowered the age for criminal responsibility from 16 to 14 because, you know, Sakakibara is 14 years old. But then in 2004, I was thinking of covering this, but I ended up covering this Kobe child murders instead. But in June 1, 2004, there's a murder of an 11-year-old. Oh, a murder of... Uh, I don't know if she's 11 or 10, but it's a murder of Satomi Mitarai by an 11-year-old girl named Girl A because she's a minor. And this is called the Sasebo Slashing. And because the girl is 11 years old, there has been even more discussion for the need of further revision for this lowered age for criminal responsibility, but the United Nations Committee on Children's Rights, UNCCR, issued a warning to the Japanese government over the tremendous pressure that the children are placed under their 
very much hyper-competitive education system. And the UNCCR described that the Japanese children from a young age are frustrated and they are highly stressed. But instead of like thinking, the government thinking that, oh, the education system might be fucked, you know, it might be fucking our kids over, the government's answer is just to introduce tougher juvenile laws. So for me, I think that the juvenile laws definitely could be revised. But the, you know, the revision of the educational system should be revised as well because that is such a brutal thing for kids to just, I don't know, educational systems fuck children up. <laughs> so uh, the professor, of Professor Osamu Nikura, he is the secretary general of the Japanese lawyer, said that, quote, serious crime cannot be prevented by juvenile law reform. End quote. So yet another aftermath of this case and the Sasebo slashing case. So now let's go to March 2003. On March 2003, a three-member panel of the Kanto Regional Parole Board accepted the request for parole that was filed in March 2003. So Boy A or Sakakibara on March 11, 2004, he was announced to be released. He is 21 years old at the time and he was going to be released on a provisional basis with a full release to follow on January 1, 2005. And the Japanese Ministry of Justice actually announced this to the public. So the public knows that he is going to get out. So Tetsuo Obata, chairman of the parole board, told reporters that the board judged that Sekakibara has been rehabilitated to a desirable level and he would should and he should be released so he can make a smooth return to society. So he said, quote, the board has interviewed the man on various occasions and closely examined his correctional state. We came to conclude that psychiatric care and correctional education at reformatories have obtained good results. End quote. And he thinks that to help Sekakibara proceed with his rehabilitation in society, the board has selected a place where he will live and they mapped out plans for his daily life. So he's going to be basically have guidance for two years because he is, oh no, not two years. Today is 2004 and he will be released on 2005. So less than a year, actually. So the place of residence will not be released and that Obata said that the government announced his release to the public because there's a lot of public interest in the crimes that Sakakibara has committed. So Obata said in an interview, quote, Considering the peculiar and grave nature of his crimes, we thought public cooperation for his rehabilitation is essential. End quote. So that's his kind of like justification for releasing Sakakibara and the uh, announcement of his release. But of course, there are critics. And the critics have said that the government had taken the unusual step of notifying the public that it's going to go out. They think this is because Sakakibara was not fit for release and he should be transferred back to prison. When the Sasebo slashing happened and another debate about juvenile uh, killings came up, this criticism of the critics about Sakakibara's release was definitely 
gotten even more intense. So due to the seriousness of the crimes and the fact that these crimes had been committed by a minor, Sakakibara's name and new residence to this day remain a highly guarded secret. But the victim's families would be notified of his whereabouts. So when he moves, the family would know where he, where he is. So sources close to the case said that Sakakibara himself has read notes written by the victim's families and has said that he would like to find a job so he could pay them for compensation. The sources also quoted him saying that he would not forget the severity of his crimes and he would like to spend his life making up for them. So the mother of Sakakibara released a statement through her lawyer saying, quote, our son is now doing his best to have courage to plunge into the world of anxieties and uncertainties. I believe there will be a long and tough road ahead for us and our son, but if possible, I hope the public will watch over us quietly. End quote. So a lawyer, Yoshikuni Noguchi, who served as Sakakibara's counselor during his trial, cautioned that if people around him make a big fuss and put him in a spot, it would make it very different, difficult for him to just reintegrate into society. And he also said, quote, By realizing the value of his own life, he now feels he wants to make up for having taken people's lives. He has grown up a lot in a short period of time. I'm not worried. End quote. And he is saying this as like a possibility of him repeating crimes himself. And I do not like to insert too many uh, of my own opinions, but... Your mistakes as a child should not dictate who you are as a person when you're an adult. But there's definitely this very, very gray area when it comes to some killings, gruesome crime as when you're a child and when you have grown up. I don't know. It feels like it's such a debatable, such a gray area thing. It's not white and black. Yeah? Uh -huh. So, the meanwhile, the families of the victims have urged the government to always provide them the information where he is, what he is doing, and some of the relatives of the victims' families even questioned whether he really has been rehabilitated. So, Jun has his father, Mamoru, when he was 47 years old, said in a statement after learning of the release, quote, the most important issue is whether he is really rehabilitated. I believe the man will face various difficulties after returning to society, and I think it is an ordeal he deserves. The crimes he committed cannot be redeemed even with his whole life. I hope that he will not forget that and live his life bearing a heavy cross on his back. End quote. I agree. So, Mamoru Hase said that the Justice Ministry's rare decision to provide the victim's relatives with advanced information regarding the release was an improvement when it comes to the law. And currently, such notification is only applicable in criminal cases involving adults. So because this is a juvenile case, it's kind of like an improvement for them that they were notified of this information. So, he also urged the ministry to apply it to all juvenile cases as soon as possible. So, in a separate statement, uh, Ayaka Yamashita's mother, Kyoko, said that while she would like to believe that Sakakibara has been rehabilitated, she wonders that a person who managed to commit 
these very, very brutal acts, she wonders if that kind of person can truly be reformed in such a short time. So he said, quote, Of course, I have not forgiven his crimes, but I think Ayaka would hope that a man redeems his heart as a human being and lives a good life. Every time incident incidents involving children occur, I feel that we must question ourselves about what we adults are here for. End quote. So Prime Minister Junichiro Koizumi told reporters that there was probably no other choice but to release Sakakibara in order for him to go and rehabilitate himself. But he has mixed feelings about the release when he considered the victims' families. So, you know, uh, you think that this is kind of like an open and shut case that, okay, Sakakibara was caught, he confessed, so he did it, he got punished for this, the law did what it can for him, but there's a number of people, including a lawyer who dealt with many false accusation cases named Shojiro Goto, Hidehiko Komagai, and Nobuyushi Iwata, the former principal of the junior high school that Sekakibara attended, they insist that he was wrongfully accused, and they pointed out several contradictions in the statements of the investigating authorities. So some examples of this is that the police investigator said that the murders was made by a left-handed person, but Sakakibara is right-handed, and that Sakakibara's confession contained many absurd statements and claims of things that they think is impossible for a 14-year-old to do. Apparently, Sakakibara had bad grades and yet his confession was complex and contained many elaborate figures of speech and similes. So that's some of their contradictions. So they believe that. I personally not much believe it. So in 2002, apparently when Sakakibara was still in reformatory, his mother visited visited bah, visited him in prison and asked him if he really did this. Like, what if you are really falsely accused? Did you really do it? And he said that, yes, I did it. So his parole, supervised parole, lasted only until December 31, 2004. And it was reported that after that, he was no longer required to report to his parole officer. And then he moved twice in quick succession after this and then just poof disappeared. So even his father, who he was still close to at that point, claims that after that he has not heard from his son and he does not know where his son is living. So following his release, he wrote a letter of apology to the parents of his murder victims and this is the very first time that he had directly expressed an apology for what he had done. The contents of the letters were not publicly disclosed but because it's private but according to Ayaka's mother she accepted the letter and said that she will think it over and up until now the true motivation of what drove him to just kill was never fully explained due to privacy the article said due to privacy so I would like to think that people actually know and they're just not disclosing it because if there's no reason, that's concerning. Very, very concerning. So, in June 2015, so not long, Sakakibara, he is already 32 years old, released a book. <laughs> and he, this book is an autobiography released 
through Ota Publishing titled Zekka, and this could be translated as a song of desperation. So according to him, in this book, while he was a teenager, he was a quote-unquote incorrigible sexual deviant, which he just took satisfaction in mutilating animals before he eventually moved on to killing human beings. So he wrote, quote, When I advanced to junior high school, I had already become bored of killing cats and gradually found myself fantasizing about how it would feel to murder human beings like me. Let me confess something. I thought the sight was a beauty. He was referring to June's head being displayed. So fucked up. He also confessed that, confessed that before he displayed the head, he took it to the bathroom in his home and committed a deed, quote-unquote, far more heinous than murder. And my brain if immediately goes to him fucking the head, like Ed Gein. Is it Ed Gein? I think it's Ed Gein. Is it Ed Gein? I think it is, but that's where my brain immediately went to. I hope it's not. <laughs> but, yeah. And while explaining that, while he explained that, he also wrote that he now realizes the gravity of what he did and he claimed to express regret for what he did. And this is written in the epilogue and he wrote, quote, I couldn't keep quiet about my past anymore. I had to write. Otherwise, I thought I would go insane. End quote. So learning about the book of their children getting killed and the killer basically releasing the book himself, the families demanded that the publisher withdraw the book. <sighs> but despite the attempts of Jun Has's family to block the release, and one bookstore chain even refused to stock the book, it was released and quickly reached the top of Japanese bestseller lists. So the publisher apparently went ahead with the book's pressing without notifying any of the victims' families about that, and the president of Ota Publishing, Satoshi Oka, said in a statement regarding the book that Sakakibara had wanted to publish the book himself. And he approached Ota Publishing via a third party, after which they had a face-to-face meeting. And that he said in an interview, quote, We have never had the opportunity to read the personal account of a juvenile criminal at this level. Although I understand this book will receive a great deal of criticism, I believe that the book details events that speak to issues of juvenile criminal accountability still relevant today. End quote. And the sources say that Sakakibara himself sent a personal note of apology attached to a copy of the book, and this is delivered to the families of the victims. So the first edition of the book sold about 10,000 copies, and royalties for the sales of the book will be given to the author, Sakakibara. Some reports say that he would use at least part of the money to pay the families, but we don't know if that really happened. So Jun Hase's father, Mamoru Hase, issued a statement to the media in which he said, quote, I don't know if the murderer of our child published this book to further extend our endless suffering. It shows he doesn't really feel bad about doing what he did. I wish this book would be would be pulled immediately and that no more copies be printed. End quote. So even if there's a lot of criticism, auto publishing reprinted the book and 
they sold, oh, not 10,000 copies. They sold 100,000 copies and they were printed 50,000. So the Fahase family really didn't like this book. And uh, he added in another, I don't know if it's an interview. Oh, he wrote a letter to the publisher. So Mamoru Hase wrote, quote, the book has caused enormous emotional distress to our family, causing serious secondary damages once again. And he even added that the revelation that the revelations, the details of the book, really does not benefit society in developing general perspectives into juvenile crimes. So Hase's case against the book was bolstered by, you know, the publisher's idea to send advanced copies of the book with a note of apology to them. It's kind of like for Jun Hase family is like a big fuck you to them and they don't like it so japan today reports that the royalties are being paid to the author while the asahi shimbun reports that the royalties will be will be used to pay off the 1.6 million dollars in civil damages that are going to be awarded to the victim's families however there's no legal mechanism requiring him to do you know to pay the civil damages and this uncertainty carries a lot of debate and if you remember Issei Sagawa in my episode he managed to release a book and he kept on releasing books because he gets money from those books even if, if he is the killer he is the criminal he released the books about his crimes Following this controversy, there is growing calls for Japan to introduce a legislation similar to the Son of Sam law in the United States, which prevents criminals and ex-convicts from profiting from the publicity of their crimes. Because this isn't the first thing. This isn't the first time this happened. As I've said, Isisegawa did it. Tatsuya Ichihashi did it. He raped and murdered a British teacher, Lindsay Hawker, in 2007. And another one, Tomohiro Kato, did it. He killed seven strangers in a stabbing and vehicular rampage in 2008. So killers do this and they get the money. So a few months later, after the release of the book, Sakakibara apparently set up a vanity website in which he posted photoshopped images of a nude male suggested to be himself. So the site is named Sonzaino Tairarenai Tomeisa. Tomeisa. Sonzaino Tairarenai Tomeisa. And it is, it is translated to the unbearable transparency of being. And this declares that this is former Boy A's official homepage. So apparently there is no confirmation that this is indeed him, but the weekly magazine Shukan Bunshun said that it received a letter from him detailing how he came to release the memoir. So the letter went on and on and said that he had also set up a homepage and he even gave the URL to Shukan Bunshun. So the website declares that this is the sole source of information about Sakakibara because he is not a user of any social media thingies. So the gallery section of the site shows the nude photos of a man wearing a mask, which people believe is Sakakibara himself. So the, the website also shows art, apparently created by Sakakibara, including photos and drawings of slugs. I don't know. Uh, 
Apparently, he likes logs. It also includes comments by him about his favorite books. And there's a lack of apology or any expression of remorse by opening this site about him and kind of like advertising it as Boy A's site. It's kind of like he is once again putting himself in a spotlight and getting fame or clout because of his own crimes. And Sakakibara even appears to want to engage the people because the website offers an email address for people to just send emails. And experts, psychiatric experts, said that this move by Sakakibara, if this is indeed him, showed that he was self-absorbed and he just wanted attention from the public. So in response to these controversies, the tabloid Shukan Post, Shukan Post published his real name. And I was actually torn if I'm going to say the name out loud because it is, you know, hidden for so many years because of the juvenile law. But it is public, so I guess I could say it. He's a killer. So, yeah. His real name is Shinichiro Azuma. And Shukan Post also showed Azuma's location and occupation at that time. They printed a photo of him as a teenager and reports that he now works as a welder on construction sites. And the magazine justified their decision to identify him because this is a matter of public concern. So that's the end of the case. And personally, it became longer than I thought, but it's not as long as like two hours, so... I could clap, pat myself on the back. <laughs> but yeah, the whole case is just dreary. I mean, crimes are dreary, they're morbid, but there's a lot of mixed feelings about this. I don't know. <laughs> and do you think that he has been rehabilitated? Do you think that he is like harmless now? Or is this... Is his tendencies just sleeping? I don't know. I don't know. And this is one of my problems when it comes to juvenile crimes. <laughs> because somebody who had done crimes at such a young age. Because I don't know. Because I know when I was like 12, 13, 14. When I was in that age, I was dumb. I was stupid. I have so many ideas that I think are just absolutely mind-blowing and amazing. And... When you say it to me right now as an adult, I'm like, what the fuck? You're so stupid. That's such a bad idea. But then this isn't just like, you know, a mistake, a bad idea. This is a crime. This is a killing. And it's not just one killing, which is horrendous enough, but it's a string of attacks. Attacks. And if you think about it, if the three children that he assaulted died, then he has five lives in his hands. You know, so... I don't know. I don't know. So, yeah. So, this is the end of the case. And I, yeah. I hope you found it interesting. Yeah. I never know how to say it. I never know how to say it. I hope you enjoyed the episode. But, yeah. So, as I have done in the previous episode, I didn't give any hints on what is the topic for the next episodes but i literally would just say it out loud so the next topic for the next episode is locked room mysteries in real life because i absolutely love reading classics like i have two very thick 
Sherlock Holmes books and I absolutely loved reading it and there was a time of my life where I read it every year even if they're like so thick like one book is like 1,000 pages and I absolutely loved reading it and Locked Room Mystery is such a classic when it comes to you know crime books fiction books and all of that stuff so I decided to search like locked room mysteries in real life and the past it's in the past like you know 1800s 1900s 1920s and all of that and i found a couple and of course it's uh way 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 back in the past so there's not much data so i'm going to uh talk about two or three of those rock locked room mysteries and i hope you guys you know look forward to that because i myself i love love past cases and the downside of that is there's not a lot of information about it because you know they they don't have technology first of all like dna and all of that stuff and there's a lot of mishandling so but i love 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 past like past 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 crimes (laughs) so yeah uh and i love it in not a way that oh death but kind of like it has a certain charm into it and if you listen to morbid a true crime podcast you have this one episode where uh one of the hosts said that the crime is of the past is like sepia toned <laughs> and i have never related that so much i don't know there's a certain charm to researching those stuff so yeah uh huh. If you have any stories that you want me to cover, or you have any stories that you want to share to me to read out loud in this podcast, you could email me at macabramblings at gmail.com. I also have Twitter and Instagram that you could contact me and talk to me in. My Instagram is macabramblings podcast, and my Twitter is at macarambles, which is M A C A rambles. And that's about it. Don't forget to eat. Don't skip meals. It's very, very important. And always drink. Hydrate. Ah, It's the start of summer here in the Philippines. And oh boy, oh boy, I am dying. I always make sure that we have like a copious amount of ice inside our fridge because it's so freaking hot. I'm melting. We even like reached the heat index of 51 degrees Celsius. What the fuck? <laughs> so it's getting hot i don't know if it's hot there where you are but always hydrate it's very very important and take a break take a breather make sure to have some rest whenever you can because rest is very important as well so stay spooky everybody and of course of course of course the thing that i'm always harping about that i feel like i'm always just a nagging I can't say mother. I I could never think of myself as a mother, but a nagging mother hen. Stay safe, everybody. Bye-bye.